0: Before we get started, a quick disclosure. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or solicitation to buy or sell any investment. And with that, hello and welcome to an episode of the Rangeley Capital Podcast. This is a weekly 15 minute long podcast and the clock starts now. Uh, I'm Andrew Walker, a portfolio manager at Rangeley Capital and with me as always is my co-host and the founder of Rangeley Capital, Chris Lemuth. It is Thursday, November 19th and we're going to kick things off with our article of the week. Anti licensing movement scores a victory. It's an article from just a week or so ago in the Wall Street Journal. So, Chris, tell me your thoughts on the anti licensing movement. What did you take from this article?
1: Well, uh, first of all, there's some purpose for licensing. You know, we need uh, to have uh, licensing for the kind of jobs that's very hard for a consumer to easily judge or if there were grievous costs if yes. they judged badly. So, uh, you know, if I was going to try to make a list, I'd probably start with medicine. Okay. I might go to law and accounting. Uh, and I still have two fingers left in my first hand. <laughs> and I'm running out of things that I think customers couldn't figure out themselves with the help of other
0: customers. <laughs> So, you say uh, there should be licensing, but yes, yeah. So, medicine it, it's a touchy subject, but why does the government need to even be involved in licensing at all?
1: Ooh, I was thinking of licensing in terms of kind of a peer network, okay, uh, where uh, experts can judge themselves, oh, absolutely. so being the doctors, lawyers, and uh, a guild, okay, system. Great, absolutely agree. Absolutely, uh, agree. Well, I think the government needs to backstop private contracts, I mm-hmm. think you need some kind of court system. Uh, and a central authority that simply requires private parties to do what they said they would do, uh, and in a licensing system, it would be to backstop uh, or uh, deal uh, with any fraudsters that uh, that violated the terms
0: of licensing. But it doesn't need to be more administered than that. Okay, so. Uh, a, a lot of this article is going into, you know, the licensing has got have gotten kind of ridiculous. Uh, you know, hairstylist, hairstylist is the big one. And then I love it when the hairstylist slash nail salon guy comes out and he says, you know, of course we need licensing in this industry. What happens if someone loses a leg? Which <laughs> If you're cutting hair and someone loses a leg. Neither here nor there. But do you think part of the problem – so obviously part is uh, industry protection, looking for higher wages. Yeah. Uh, the article covers that. But do you also think part of the problem is it's it's such an easy soundbite for a lawmaker to come out and say, uh, there's even an oracle line in there. We're protecting the public, not professionals. And it's such an easy soundbite to regulate someone and be like, we're looking out for consumers here. We want you to be safe when you go to a hair salon.
1: I, th- I think most... Kind of central command and control arguments uh, sound bite well. The kind of the uh, kind of first level thinking tends to gravitate towards just making people do stuff. Uh, and and were it not for human behavior, if it were not for incentives, I think that it would make more sense. And the problem is, is that things that sound kind of blandly paternalistic. You know, we need to regulate salon uh, uh, workers so they don't kind of stab you in the leg with their shears <laughs> or something. You know, it's uh, you can say that. Uh, 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 My level of skepticism, which is normally high, goes somewhat higher when we're talking about people regulating who their competition can be. Uh, And so I think that this is mostly a protection racket. And what's interesting about the protection racket, to me, it's not just economic, uh, but there's a lot of social impacts, too. I mean, I have... the guy who cuts my hair uh, is a young man uh, from the Dominican Republic. Yep. Uh, he came uh, without any money, zero money, but, but he was kind of poorer than simply poor. He didn't have connections either. Uh, if there's a... Uh, hierarchy of, uh, of who's on the inside he would be on the outside the only thing that he's really great at doing professionally is cutting hair uh, he's really good uh, and Chris has he a wonderful haircut hair. he's, he's looking cut. really sharp and, so. uh, but um, but uh, it, it changes the hierarchy from one of meritocracy on uh, the subject that somebody reputes to be good at to a merit- a different kind of meritocracy on uh, getting uh, able to work the system, yep. uh, that tends to skew whiter, or older, and richer, uh, and not just, uh, 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 I mean, so you have the social
0: impacts as well as, now, the, as
1: the economic one. so
0: I don't think anyone who's kind of followed your writing on Seeking Alpha or just thinks like, hey, these two guys are what we'd like to think of as professional investors, is gonna be surprised to hear that we're against the regulations, licensing. But is there actually value, you know, right now I can go, I can call up a plumber, which is Mm -hmm. licensed. I can call up a plumber and I know they're going to come over and hopefully they know what they're doing because they passed the license scene real quick. Is there value in removing that friction of me having to go seek out a good plumber who knows what they're doing?
1: Now, if I have a bias in this, it's that I enjoy uh, due diligence. So I, I, (laughs) I, I, I like making decisions and I like making my own decisions. I think it's part of one of the things that make life uh, worthwhile. Hopefully, net, I make good ones, but I know I make my decisions. Um, and uh, and I have all sorts of uh, peculiarities about what I want. Um, you know, when it comes time to pick a plumber, uh, I think that you can really have standardized disclosure and a requirement that people tell the truth. Uh, but in a community where people are trying to... Uh, uh, do uh, best make uh, rational uh, if self-seeking decisions uh, and are willing to be fair to other people I think that uh, the kind of the less involvement uh, the more I don't think there's a lot of steps of bureaucracy that needed to be coming between you and your plumber
0: I, hundred I agree I was just thinking to myself like well it is nice I can go and know like the guy who's cutting my hair isn't going to be he's licensed so he has to have you know, Sanitary hair tools. Yeah. Sort
1: of I mean, I, I think I think one of the kind of uh, marketing tricks uh, for uh, kind of central regimens uh, like uh, licensing the picks who is in the who is not allowed to compete in the market uh, tends to do is you have a big country, you know, you have something like three hundred and thirty million Americans right now, and in any given topic, you just describe in this incredibly in terms what is the worst thing that can yeah. happen and i would just stipulate that out of 330 million people the worst thing that could happen is it really is terrible it's just yeah. a horrible thing yeah. and so, so you say you know well if somebody was allowed to have this medical device or this or this or this drug or go to this barber just imagine if the person took the scissors and started whacking them in your ear as many times as they could and while you're
0: imagining that that should be your view of liberty, because that's what somebody can use their liberty for. But- you know, so we've got a lot of investments in pharma, and it's kind of related. You, you see these drugs, and they're like, well, you know, they, they're not proven safe in two percent of the population, or something. It's like, well, compare it to what the other case is. Like, if this is a terminal cancer patient, who cares if it's not safe in two percent of them? Like, they're terminal. If it works for fifty percent, but I, I think, I think, uh,
1: I think, before we move on, let me just piggyback on that for a sec to say that. Uh, I think you could have a full-time employment contract if you were young and good-looking but had a terminal disease. And so you were the allegory that everybody wanted to use to attack pharma or medical device company. And and that that these kind of aggressively emotive uh, uh, arguments are used against empiricism, against statistics, against facts to say, uh, you don't care... Uh, if you uh, don't let me bang on about the worst thing that could happen, and then make your decisions on the basis of that description.
0: So, uh, so back to the article. Sure. There is a line in there. There, over the past forty years, there have only been eight successful attempts to repeal a licensing a licensing movement, mm-hmm. and one of these successful attempts was actually relicensed in two thousand thirteen. So, if I told you that statistic, twenty five percent of jobs are licensed at this point. Do you think regulation goes up or down over the next couple of years? Up. Up. Okay, so here's my other question. So we've had Uber in New York, which su- successfully protests kind of taxi regulations. We had this example of CrossFit. Daily Fantasy Sports are protesting, I guess it's not really a licensing regulation, but they're protesting in New York. Do you you think that fundamentally the way we're governed is going to change a little bit towards less licensing just because of connection and the ability to scale consumer reaction to the government uh, kind of regulation? Uh, Let me back up because I would say that
1: there's no philosophical argument that will defeat people who are rent-seeking. I mean, if you said, aha, you're rent-seeking, if nobody was listening, they would say, aha, of course I am. That's that's exactly what i mean. However, um, technology is a real problem. I mean, I think that, uh, you know, you look at uh, London uh, when the uh, black taxis uh, had the day of the most unsuccessful strike in the history of all striking. Uh, All at once they said, uh, uh, young man, I just want to let you know that I will not give you a ride across town. And then you might have asked, why will you not take my money and drive me where I want to go? The reason why I refuse is these people over there, Uber... They say that they are going to do so in a nicer car, and they're going to do so for a lower price, and I seriously resent that. So I will protest this by not giving you a ride across town.
0: And then it's so great because they, uh, you know, they they cause huge traffic jams, and they'll set cars on fire, and it's like. Well, not only are you telling people to go to competitors and that competitors are cheaper, you're engendering so little goodwill by literally just bringing down the city for a an
1: and, day. And the, uh, the, the conclusion was it was the biggest one-day jump in Uber business uh, in their history, and it was quite tractable, too. They kind of kept it after the.
0: So that is going to be a great jump to our question, question of the day. But before we get there, uh, Chris and I have a quick request for you. If you like our podcast, please subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud. If you already subscribe and you like it, we'd really appreciate it if you recommended it to a friend or someone else who might be interested. And if you don't think it's recommending for some reason, please reach out to Chris and I. We don't get a lot of feedback, but we really appreciate any feedback that you have. So with that, quick Chris, question of the day. So we've talked about regulated industries and when it comes to investing in companies and industries that are heavily regulated or heavily scrutinized, do you think it's uh, just in general ignoring price, which we never do, but has it hasn't had a good track record or bad track record? What do you think?
1: For the most part, the really politically sensitive industries that are heavily regulated have made some incredibly good uh, investments. Um, I would look to the hospitals, the drug companies, and more than anything else, tobacco. I Mm -hmm. mean, tobacco, you look uh, at uh, Philip Morris, it was the the best performing large cap stock for much of the 20th century uh, over the long term, and did especially well under the toughest regulation. Yep. And if you look at the winners compared to losers, like uh, utilities in many cases uh, that have uh, have had a poorer return, I, I think that if you have a little bit of what you really want is opaque uh, corporate profits. Yes. Uh, and. Uh, Uh, You don't want a system that's as adversarial as the state public utility commission process where every time you get an edge, they just try to suck it right out and give it back to the ratepayers.
0: Well, so it's interesting to me. So what you just described, uh, we kind of think of good businesses, bad businesses, okay. And ignoring all the political things, uh, drug companies and cigarette companies are generally considered good businesses. So cigarette companies, you've got these great brands that scale very well. It's generally asset light. Uh, drug companies you know you've got a patent on your drug whereas utility we generally consider it a terrible business mm-hmm. because you know you've got this huge plant that depreciates tons of capital investment uh do you think what you're, we're picking up when we talk about that is actually the you, regulation effect or is it a good business bad business effect
1: I think you do want, uh, whenever you go into business, to have a physically addictive product. So I think that that's uh, helped both uh, all of the tobacco companies and some of the drug companies as well. Or, dare I say it, Coca-Cola. And (laughs) Um, uh, Coca-Cola. Certainly helps. Uh, well, uh, you know, you have a pretty good case uh, study, just focusing on tobacco for a second, because you had lightly regulated yeah. uh, half century or so, and then uh, completely regulated, and then uh, when it when it reached uh, its uh, absolute pinnacle, uh, was with the state master settlement, where yeah. the states really have uh, fifty limited partners in the major tobacco companies, yeah. and from there the sky's the limit because they were able to uh, take businesses that the uh, description that the hostile description might be that they are liars and killers so you know these are not uh, these are not ones that the public has a huge amount of uh, love for uh, and then basically gave them a deal where they were able to for example curtail spending on uh, advertising that had they privately made that deal, it yep. would have been an antitrust violation. They would have been litigated, and they would have lost. So,
0: what Chris is saying here is, uh, in I believe it was the '60s. Am I right on that? Yeah, in the '60s, the drug, the cigarette companies they they were putting out ads, and the FTC or DOJ, or Yeah, FTC. They came out and said, "No, cigarette companies, you can't advertise anymore. It's against the it's against the public's interest." And it, it turned out to be brilliant for them because. If no one can advertise, then all that money falls straight through your bottom line, and no one can really take a uh, market share away from each other. So it, it was just wonderful for them.
1: And it's interesting to see the counterfactual as well, because these are companies that, um, uh, let, let me just, and I might not use these words, but, I, but if somebody said they're liars and killers, you know, these, are, these are just in the public imagination, they're not uh, lovable characters. Um, they were going to turn on each other. Yeah. And if you look at the history, you
0: know, they would make uh, kind of wild health claims. It used to be cigarettes was, will uh, tw- 19 of the 20 New York Giants yes. World Championship team yeah. uh, smoked camels. So shouldn't you smoke the ch- cigarette of a champion?
1: And they went from claiming they were healthy to claiming they were healthier than each other. Yeah. They claimed they were healthier than each other except for innuendo. They were starting to cast shade on each other. And the government put a stop to this at the perfect moment
0: so, so they were going to smoke camels instead of Marlboro because camels don't give you as bad of lung cancer. Yes. Uh, I think we're running out of time. The only other thing I was wondering, which we might have to get to, to another day, is does invest in a regulated industry, are you taking on kind of huge tail risk? And the, the example to me would be if you had invested in taxis over the past 30 years, you did tremendously until – Uber or a startup comes and just kind of disrupts you and you're completely flat-footed. I'm going to try to give a quick answer to that uh, if I can,
1: uh, which is there's huge tail risk. Uh, When I lived in North Carolina, all of the uh, textiles were propped up as long as they could. Uh, The market could have pulled out a few thousand workers a year sent them to Walmart or so forth. But what happened was they were propped up to the last moment until it was unsupportable. They all collapsed simultaneously. It was an economic disaster for the companies and their investors and a social disaster for their workers. Walmart could not absorb as
0: many. Uh, instead of months. losing 3,000 jobs a year for 10 years, you you lose 30,000 in one year and there's no way you can absorb that. Okay, so we are way over. Uh, we apologize for that. Hopefully you're traveling somewhere for Thanksgiving. I think this will come out next week, so hopefully you enjoy the extra minute or two. Uh, if you like this podcast, again, please be sure to subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud. If you like our ideas but can do without the voices, please be sure to follow Chris and me on Seeking Alpha. Chris writes them in a daily column. I write the weekly Investing with an Edge column. Uh, we should have one more podcast out this week as a bonus for Thanksgiving. And next week, we will be coming out with our best ideas for 2016. So be sure to listen to that podcast. Have a good one.